Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Thursday, September 30th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Another big weekend in college football approaches with some challenges for schools in our region. How about Kansas State looking to make it three straight over Oklahoma? Calvis Robinette is here to tell us about the Wildcats' chances and offer his thoughts on who will start a quarterback for K-State. Missouri's coming off a heartbreaking loss at Boston College in overtime and faces another test Saturday when Tennessee, coached by former Mizzou offensive coordinator Josh Heupel, rolls into Columbia. Lila Bromberg updates us on the Tigers and what needs to be fixed for Mizzou to regain momentum this season. Kansas has been an improved team this season, one first half at a time. Jesse Newell breaks down the Jayhawks' football fortunes early in games and why it hasn't been sustainable. And then Gary Bedore provides a report on basketball. Late night at the Fog tips off Friday night. Will Bill Self be able to recognize his 18-man roster without a program? All of that on today's Sports Beat KC. So let's get started with Kellis and K-State's battle with Oklahoma. Kellis, Kansas State owns Oklahoma, owns the Sooners. Now, they've won two in a row against OU, but in both cases, the Wildcats were underdogs. The fact that uh, they beat them in Manhattan two years ago, went down to Norman uh, in the COVID 2020 season and pulled out the most improbable of victories there a year ago. And so Oklahoma comes to Manhattan on Saturday. K-State's a 10-point underdog or 10.5. For a double-digit underdog, confidence has to be okay for K-State. They don't seem to fear the Sooners like maybe some other teams do. They don't, and their players actually said that this week when I asked them, why do you think you guys seem to have more success against Oklahoma than other teams? That was their exact answer. We don't fear them. We don't treat them like the best team in the country. We think we can beat them. We go out and play them hard. And who knows if you know other teams respect them too much or whatever, but it's a great answer. You say that uh, two straight wins doesn't necessarily mean you're owning Oklahoma. At the same time, I would say that the only two other teams from the Big 12 that have beaten them in back-to-back seasons, I think, since Bob Stoops took over as coach, were uh, Baylor did it once when they were at the height of their powers under Art Bryles, and Texas did it once when they had Mac Brown and they were really, really good. Otherwise, it's, it's just Kansas State. Nobody else has uh, come in and beaten them twice, and nobody's beaten them three straight times since uh, all the way back in 99 when Texas beat them uh, twice when Blake was the coach and then got him in Stoops' first year. So what an accomplishment that would be if Kansas State could be the first team in 20-plus years to beat Oklahoma three straight times. Like you said, they're confident. They think they can do it. Last week's loss against Oklahoma State threw up some red flags that they're going to have to work around and fix some things. But they're certainly not lacking for confidence, that, that's for sure. I think both teams have some red flags, but let, let's talk about K-State. That was a bit of an unexpected result. At least, uh, you know, the start was so bad for the Wildcats in Stillwater. What happened down there? I, I think we kind of looked at that game as a coin flip type of game, but Oklahoma State took the mystery out of it early. They did, and that's the type of a game where I felt going in, whoever took the early lead was probably going to win. Not only did Oklahoma State do it, they took a big opening lead. 31-10 by the end of the first quarter. Um, I kind of got the sense that as soon as Will Howard couldn't hang onto that that snap in front of his own end zone and it bounced off his legs, hit Jacardier right, rolls in the end zone, Oklahoma State gets on it for an easy touchdown. As soon as I saw that, I pretty much assumed this game's over, even though there were three quarters left. That's just not a mistake. Kansas State, especially with its limited offense uh, with Skylar Thompson on the sideline, that's not a team that's equipped to play from behind. It was a long day for them. I will say it would have been interesting to see what would have happened if Will Howard would have stayed healthy the whole way because 
He didn't play much in the second half. He really didn't play in the second quarter either. And Chris Kleiman's explanation why was that he suffered some type of injury. He no longer run at full speed like they had planned for coming in. And that really was their game plan in this one was to run the ball with misdirection, and the combination of Deuce Vaughn handoffs, jet sweeps, and Will Howard keepers. And you saw in the very first drive, they did that and actually had some pretty good success. Uh, Will Howard escaped for a 37-yard rush on one of the very first plays on a, a very well-designed play where they had um, Cooper Beebe coming over to pull right through the hole as a lead blocker, broke it open. He gets 37 yards on the play. But then two or three plays later, he gets hurt. He can't run anymore. And the offense just uh, completely disappeared. They end up going to third stringer, Jaron Lewis. As you would expect the third stringer to do on the road to Big 12 game, didn't do a whole lot. So that, that would be the one X factor is if not only do they get Will Howard back, they get Skylar Thompson back for this game. Maybe they can throw a little bit more. But the numbers from that game were just ugly. 62 yards rushing for a team that loves to run the ball. They're never going to win doing that. And then on defense, I was surprised that Oklahoma State hit him with a bunch of screen passes, probably did it four or five times. And every time they did it, it went for huge gains. And K-State looked like they had no clue it was coming. So kudos to Oklahoma State for that, but just not a great effort from, from the Wildcats. You mentioned quarterbacks. There's a little bit of cloudiness when it comes to the quarterback situation this week. And I think uh, Chris Kleiman likes it that way. Serves for something of a competitive advantage when your opponent doesn't know exactly what's going to happen to quarterback. but what are the possibilities and, and how about assigning a percentage chance, the participation possibilities of uh, the three quarterback this weekend? Well, despite what Chris Kleiman said at his weekly press conference, that it's not likely and even doubtful that Scott Thompson plays, I think he'll be the starting quarterback in this game. Whoa. The, the target date I've been told all along was he should be back by Oklahoma if everything goes well, not the bye week. And he looked really good warming up in Stillwater. I'm not sure why they put him out there to run around and throw the ball. It looked like he was a week away from playing to only come out and then pour water on it. But I take that as a sign that he's ready to go unless he has a setback this week. I think he's out there. Will Howard, he's he's actually a little bit murkier. I think he plays, but maybe on a limited basis. And then Jaron Lewis would obviously be ready to go. I can't totally guarantee that Skylar Thompson will play just because the people who would normally tell me this, like you mentioned, want Oklahoma to think that there's a chance that he's not playing. So I don't think we're going to get actual confirmation that he's in or out until an hour and a half before before the game starts. But if, if I was a betting man, I'd say he does. He's been huge in, the, in these two victories over Oklahoma, hasn't he? Skylar Thompson. He has thrown for almost 600 yards, um, scored eight touchdowns, seven on the ground. Oklahoma has had absolutely no answer for him. Um, this is a guy who, you know, for whatever reason, he's always been part of uh, ground-oriented offenses, never really put up huge passing numbers. But the one 300-yard game he has was last year, 334 yards in the air against Oklahoma and a huge upset where they come from 21 down to win 38-35. He always brings it for Oklahoma. And that's another reason why I think he's out there. We've seen he can run. We've seen he can throw. If he can do those things, if he has any say in this at all, I'm sure he's pounding the table saying, put me in there. They want him in there. We've seen what they're like with Will Howard and Jarrett Lewis. So I think they're going to give him another shot. And if he's out there, you certainly can expect at least the possibility of another big game. Okay, it's a 2.30 kick in Manhattan, but there's some other Wildcat sports activity occurring before the kickoff. And it's free, if I read your story correctly, free admission to see Bruce Weber and the basketball team. When does that start? 
It's going to be a long practice. Uh, starts at 11 a.m. You can watch all the way up until 1.30 p.m. In Bramlage. If you love K-State basketball enough to uh, forgo tailgating and watch two and a half hours of basketball practice before you go to a three-plus-hour football game, that's, that's some fandom right there. But yeah, free admission. Anybody can go get an early look at the Wildcats. And there's been a lot of uh, excitement since they uh, brought back Nigel Pack, brought back Mike McGrill, and added three pretty good-looking transfers. Missouri's Mark Smith, Marquise Noel, and Ishmael Masood. These are guys that, at least on paper and from what we've seen in other schools, can add some very nice scoring punch and hopefully give Kansas State a winning record this season. So if you want to get a sneak peek on those guys, this is your first chance to do it. All right, we're going to take a break, come back and talk with Lila Bromberg, who covers Mizzou for the Star. We're going to say goodbye to Kellis, but I'll be saying hello to Kellis on Saturday. Look forward to sitting next to you in the press box on Saturday, Kellis. I can't wait. Lila Bromberg covers Mizzou for the Star. And I don't know about you, Lila, but I was hoping beyond hope that once Saturday's game at Boston College got into overtime, and of course, Boston College scored first, that Missouri would score. Because, as we found out right after the game from Connor Bazelak, they were going to go for two. One snap to win the game. That would have been pretty cool and a lot of fun. But, as it turns out, he did throw the interception, and Mizzou ended up losing. What was the mood for Mizzou after that game? And, and since then, seemed to be a toss-up game. Missouri was, I guess, a slight favorite on the road. That tends to raise the level of disappointment when a team drops a game like that. Yeah, there's definitely a level of disappointment and frustration. You know, you lose like that on an interception and, you know, then you kind of have to deal with the other teams storming the field and the disappointment and all of that. They clearly kind of wanted to get out of those press conferences early. They actually started Coach Drinkwitz's press conference before anyone from the beat was in the room. So there's only one beat person. So we didn't even really get to ask him that much. And then, you know, got a couple of players. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of disappointment with the way that game ended and I think, you know, just mounting frustrations with how the defense has been performing. But, you know, to end a game on an interception like that and, you know, have it all end on one play is always, you know, something that's going to be disappointing for a team. Yeah, you just mentioned it. You know, the offense played well for the most part. Defense still has problems. This was only your second game on the beat. I'm sure you watched the Kentucky game before Mm -hmm. this and the big problems for the defense against Kentucky and even in the opener against Central Michigan. A lot of yards, first downs for Central Michigan in that game. I don't know what fix is. Is it scheme, personnel? Uh, I'm not sure how, how you can fix this, but they better find some solutions because with Tennessee coming to town this weekend, Tennessee's kind of a similar situation to Missouri in terms of uh, what they've accomplished this season. But they are coached by Josh Heupel, who knows offense really well. This is a team that I think has the ability to put up some points, and Missouri better find a way to prevent that in a hurry. Yeah, I think, honestly, with the defensive end, a lot of it is talent. I think the talent isn't necessarily there. Right now, you had Nick Bolton obviously lead for the Chiefs, and he was a big guy at defensive end, not only the plays he made, but also making up for mistakes that other people were making on the defense and had some other people on that defensive line move on. And so now you've got a bunch of fifth-year guys there, guys that weren't necessarily good enough for the league or younger guys on that line. And so, you know, there seems to be just a talent differential. I mean, you can kind of see guys getting pushed around on the line of scrimmage. Players have talked a lot and coaches have talked about still learning Steve Wilkes' scheme and um, some issues there as well as some issues with communication and those sorts of things. But when it really comes down to it, they don't really have as much talent as they've had there right now. And so 
you look at what you can fix short term in terms of communication, people learning the scheme better. I think the defense looked a lot better when they were trying to blitz and, and do some things like that. But long term, they're really going to need to get more talent at the defensive line and linebacker positions to you know not face this issue moving forward. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think that this is a team that probably has to dial up some exotic stuff to Mm-hmm. You know, to be successful, see more blitzes and, and blitz disguises, that sort of thing. The schedule does not get easier for Mizzou with, with Tennessee coming this weekend, North Texas the following week, but then start a kind of a gauntlet of games for Missouri after that. So, But one defensive player who had a highlight in Saturday's game, it was actually on the first Boston College snap, was Sean Robinson, the converted uh, quarterback, who came up with a juggling interception. Really nice play. He's had a pretty good season for the Tigers, hasn't he? Yeah, and it's impressive what I wrote about him this week and in this article is just the adjustment he made. That was only his fifth game on defense. He started two games at quarterback for Missouri last season and then eventually was replaced by Connor Bazelak. And Drinkwitz approached him and asked him to switch to the safety position, which he hadn't played in safe grade. And I think a lot of guys in, in his shoes would have transferred. So many players enter the transfer portal these days and to be asked to play a position that you haven't played since middle school which is obviously very different than SEC football. A lot of guys in his position would have left, but he decided to stay and work at it. And yeah, I mean, his fifth game, he got a second career interception first of the season. So you're definitely seeing some impressive stuff from him in terms of athleticism and and things like that. And he actually almost had a second in that game as well, had a pass deflection. But he talked about and coaches talked about, he still has a lot of work to do. He's still very much learning how to play the position. And so I think that's a positive sign as someone on the defense who, is going to continue to get better throughout the season because he is so new to this side of the ball and has that athleticism. And as we mentioned, Tennessee come to Faroe Field on Saturday for an 11 a.m. kick. We still don't know who Tennessee's quarterback is going to be in this game, do we? No, we don't. So you had Joe Milton start the season for Tennessee, and then he had a lower leg injury and uh, Hendon Hooker. Both of them were transfers, Joe Milton from Michigan, and Hendon Hooker was at Virginia Tech. So Hooker started the last two games. And has looked really good. He had them in it against Florida in the first half, but he left that game with an injury. It's still very unclear who they're playing this week. They have not really committed to who's a starter. The depth chart hasn't changed since the first game of the season, even when Hooker was starting. So you don't really know who's going to be starting there or if they're going to be showing multiple packages and playing both of them. I asked the Missouri coaches about it and they said that because those guys are pretty similar, it, it makes it a lot easier to prepare. But that's something that, you know, maybe could throw Missouri off a little bit. Drinkwitz mentioned just how fast that offense moves. And so if you're already dealing with a really fast-paced offense, but then suddenly the quarterback switches, that could cause some issues. I'm thinking it's going to be a high-scoring game Saturday at Mizzou. Hey, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk with Jesse Newell and Gary Bedore, who covered the Jayhawks. So, Lila, great catching up with you. and We'll do it again next week. Great to be on. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. 
Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Jesse, I'm interested in your thoughts on Kansas football from this perspective. They have been part of the first half of each of the games that they've played, including the lead on Duke at halftime on Saturday. I was, uh, after the way that you know, that game started, I, I just thought, oh, here they go, another blowout. And although they ended up losing the game by, what, 19, they did have the lead at halftime. So what are we to make of that? Is this Kansas team good enough to play with opponents for a half? And then the talent gap shows up in the second half. So what, what are we looking at here? Yeah, Blair, just sort of story on that went up online earlier this week, but it's it's a good question because it's sort of like the bad news for Kansas is obvious. They've been awful in the second half, but the good news is the good news. Like the bad news is happening because of the good news. And the good news is that they're competitive in these games. And I saw it out there, you know, kind of what KU faced last year's halftime deficits. And it was pretty ugly, you know, in that 0-9 season where they were down by a bunch of points in almost every single game. And gave their fans a reason to tune out at halftime and go do something else, go mow the lawn, go do the rest of the chores, all those sorts of things. So I think it's a combination of what you're talking about here. I think one thing is just that they've tried to slow it down to limit possessions and teams kind of have overwhelmed them a little bit in the second half, whether it's experience or just having more talent, those sorts of things. I think the second part of this is that there is that sort of, there's always a fine line because they're always a moment away from not being in a game and then having that sort of here we go again feeling. And I asked Lance Leipold about that and he said he didn't experience that as much or feel as much in the Duke game. But I think it's something that they're always kind of balancing because even this last game, KU had like a 61-yard run to open the half from Devin Neal, but they ended up with a field goal. And then a few plays later, Duke comes back, takes the lead, and all of a sudden it's kind of off to the races from there. Duke outscores KU 21-3 to in that third quarter. So I think it's something that KU is still constantly battling. We've talked about this a lot, you know, KU basketball sort of expects good things to happen. And KU football, right or wrong, a lot of those guys have been on losing teams before. So when things go bad, they sort of expect bad things to happen. And so that's kind of a culture thing you have to grow out of. And I think Kansas is still kind of learning its way through that process and trying to move past that. But the fact they've been competitive in the first half, that's definitely a positive sign for this team. Thinking about bad things that could happen, they're catching an Iowa State team coming off a crushing loss to Baylor. The Jayhawks go to Ames this Saturday. They are a 33 or 34-point underdog, depending on what line you're looking at right now. Iowa State hasn't been a good matchup in recent years, but I can see where Kansas could feel a little encouraged by what happened last week at Duke, but catch the Cyclones at absolutely the wrong time. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, for Kansas, it's starting to make you wonder if these defensive problems are fixable this year. And I mean, that's harsh to say. It's sad to say, but it's just a reality. You know, when Les Miles left the program, KU's three top defensive players all transferred out. And a lot of guys that became super seniors went to become super seniors at other programs. And some of the issues that KU faces against Duke uh, don't look like they're going away against Iowa State or Texas or Oklahoma or some of these other teams that are very talented. Not to mention, too, Kansas has struggled with the experience gap some. And Iowa State is a very experienced team, just like Coastal Carolina is. 
just like Baylor was against KU. And that thing really shows up on film when you watch it. So we'll see. I mean, Kansas, I think the encouraging thing, obviously, is the 33 points. And he was probably unlucky to get 33 points. You know, they marched a few other times that didn't get points out of possessions where they probably should have scored based off what they did statistics-wise uh, in the mid-40s. So, I mean, that's really encouraging for a Kansas team that, you know, the last 12 years has really struggled to score since Todd Reesing left campus. So can they get something going offensively? That's that's one question. But yeah, defensively, I, I don't know the answers. And I don't know that the answers are on this year's roster or have developed enough to be on this year's roster strength-wise or knowledge-wise to be able to fix things here in a hurry. So we'll see how Kansas performs. But like I said, the offensive performance is definitely something to build on. We'll see if they do that this weekend. Yeah, not to mention not getting any points from that uh, interception return to open the game that, that took them deep into Duke territory and then they end up missing a field goal. But before Kansas plays Iowa State on the gridiron, there is a little thing called Late Night at the Fog. Here it is, Gary. It has arrived. Kansas basketball opens practice. Is it going to be a full house at Allen Fieldhouse Friday? You never know, but uh, the fans generally do fill it, you know, when there's not COVID restrictions, which there are not this year. The year Andrew Wiggins was a freshman, they had to turn away 2,000. That was probably the most crowded in the Bill Self era. I think they've never in the Self era not had a sellout. You want to call it that, even though it's free. But sometimes in the corners, there's a few empty seats. And I think they've had some of those crowds for late night. But the fans don't seem to tire of it because they keep coming. You know, they've never dropped to it. A horrible crowd like 5,000 or something. They've always sold out or been close to it. So I would say, who knows, you know, last year they didn't go. It was a TV show. This year it's open up again. They have a, a rap artist again. Uh-oh. We shall see. I think it'll be full. Okay. Well, last time they had a rap artist, <laughs> even though he was old school, Snoop Dogg had, well, let's just say we had fun on the podcast after that, yeah. after that occasion. So. Listen, I don't know if Kansas was the first to do late night, but I don't think any school's done it better and has gotten more out of its opening of basketball celebration than the Jayhawks. And they've turned it into a big recruiting event, and it's going to be that this time as well, isn't it, Gary? Yeah, um, two of the guys that have already committed are going to come, Grady Dick and Zuby. But there's three guys they really want to sign. Mark Mitchell, the former Miege star who's at Sunrise now outside of Wichita, a big man named Johan Treor, who's in the top 10 now in the country by ESPN after a great summer. And then a guy, point guard from Memphis, Chandler Jackson, says he's coming. Hadn't heard a lot about him, but obviously he's interested if he's coming to late night. Their other commitment, MJ Rice from Prolific Prep, isn't coming, but he's a solid commitment. He's probably just got something going on. So as we know right now, three top recruits that Self would love to get. Don't know, you know, if they're really favored for any of them. Mitchell also likes Mizzou, but there's a lot of talk. He might go to UCLA. His brother lived out there a while and he loves the weather. Remember when Rush went out to uh, UCLA during the Roy era? A uh, local Kansas City kid. For sure. And uh, Lucius Allen, right? Wasn't Lucius Allen of Wyandotte? Yes, he was. Star on uh, on John Wooden's UCLA team with then-named Lou Alcindor. Well, one thing we know, Gary, if the attendance at Allen Fieldhouse will be bolstered by the number of players on the Kansas bench. Yeah. <laughs> because the roster is long and deep. And, and I, I read your, Bill Self had some interesting quotes. It's going to be a work in progress to find roles for everybody. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, 10 new players, but that counts two walk-ons. Bringing in four transfers, you know, you would think that they would have the leg up on the freshmen. But like David McCormack said today, they're going to try to find the right combinations and stuff. I don't know if Jesse has read between the lines. Self sometimes give hints of who he likes and who he doesn't. He has praised Cam Martin. He has praised Jalen Coleman-Lands as being a good shooter. But he's really praised returner Dewan Harris. And he's kind of given quotes that have challenged Remy Martin a little bit. Although he's not gotten on him, he's pointed out he's been hurt and stuff. But the little hints are that Self likes Dewan Harris a lot. And uh, Cam Martin, he said, could hit four threes out of five one game and one out of five the next. But he gives us a dimension we haven't had. Big guy who can shoot threes. And as you know, Bill hasn't really been fond of big guys shoot threes. So is Cam Martin going to fire away or is he going to get minutes? We shall see. Always good to pay attention to the Bill Self media sessions just to see who he's singling out and and what he says about him. Yeah. That has always been true about Bill Self. Okay, guys, let's wrap it up. Appreciate the conversation, Jesse and Gary, and we'll do it again soon. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. Tip of the cap to Kellis Robinette, Lila Bromberg, Jesse Newell, and Gary Bedore for talking college sports. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, I wanted to call your attention to something relatively new. It's called the Morning Sports Edition. You know about the Star-Z edition, probably even get it. That's a replica of the printed newspaper on your screen that comes with your digital subscription. Well, now there's an updated sports section produced separately that goes along with it. When you open the e-edition, there's a box in the upper right-hand corner. You click on that, and you can access anywhere from 15 to 30 pages of sports. Or maybe you get a link in your email. Either way, it's access to complete coverage of the previous day's sports news, features, statistics, everything. It's fantastic. Hey, thanks for reading The Star and listening to our podcast lineup. You're helping support the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City, and we couldn't produce programs like Sportsbeat KC without you. We'll be back on Friday with another episode.